0: So as we're preparing for harvest, we want to have the good news in our hearts that we are part of this global body of believers, a family called the church. And when people come to know Jesus, the message is about who he is, who he was before time began, that he was there in the beginning and he's going to be there at the end and that this is all about him. It's not about us. And that's a very key, key point. It has to be foundational in everything that we do. This is not about us. It is about the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And when we fix our eyes, if that becomes the foundation, then everything else overflows from our life. And it's kind of like what Tommy's been sharing concerning tithing and giving to the Lord. Nothing's our own, right? And so when we can recognize that, we have revelation of that, then everything overflows, We give out of joy. We give out of thankfulness. We don't give out of obligation. When we recognize when we come to the Lord and give our life to him, we surrender our independence to him, then everything says, oh, my gosh, you've done this for me so that I don't have to live that junky old life anymore. I've come out of captivity. So now everything that I do is out of the overflow of this thankfulness, this thankful heart to the Lord for what he's done, right? And that's what we want to welcome people into so that they're not coming in to the family of God and living under obligation and under the law because nobody wants to do that. That is not fun. That's not how it's meant to be. And it feels like heavy and yuck all the time. Um, So I want to continue this message some. With clarity and reminding us that it is not about us, right? So I want that to be clear. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we're after that one thing, that that he would receive glory in and through us as his people worldwide. Not just as a local community, but we're part of a big global church. So it's not even about us crossing Life Church in Carmel. It's about we're part of this huge, big plan, right? But it is about us, and that's why I had to start about <laughs> That clearly it's not about us in the very beginning, foundational everything. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. If we are grounded in that and we have to come into the Father's heart, and this is where things start to build, because we do have to understand God's love for us as his children. And that's individually and corporately, but it is a very personal thing. So we come into the family of God and recognize that this isn't me on my own with the Lord anymore. I'm part of a family. This is a big worldwide thing. I can't do it on my own because it was never meant for me to do it on my own. But God loves me individually. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. When we come from the place of recognizing it's all about him, and yet he turns it around and says, but I love you. It it kind of magnifies the love of God towards us. He's in the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And yet he says, I love you. I am your father. We've been saved into a family. And it's funny because when I was praying and kind of meditating this week about what God wanted to say today, I kept hearing a, a word that I had gotten for Luke I don't even remember how long ago and it was during worship and all I heard was Star Wars, Luke, I am your father. (laughs) And I was like, this is so silly. But then I saw Luke in the back and I knew it was a word for him that God wanted him to know. I am your father, like whatever that entailed for you at the moment. And so when I was praying this week at the very beginning of the week, I heard in my head, Luke, I am your father. And I'm like, oh, they're coming this weekend, too. That's funny. Um, But thinking about God as our father, and what does that mean for us? So we're going to just talk about this a little bit today, um, again, on the foundation that it's not about us, and so it magnifies his love towards us, that we are loved children of God. So salvation, we've given up our old life. In Romans 8, it says we were orphans, right, that we lived outside the family of God, and by the spirit of adoption he has welcomed us in Romans 8:15 We're going to start there Romans 8:12 through 22 but 8:15 is the key one So 8 Romans 8:12 8, 12, verses 12 through 22 So then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you must die But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of your body, you will live for all who are being led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, We're going to go on. But so much of that. It's saying we were slaves to sin, right? And God brought us in through his son. He brought us into a place of adoption as his children. Now we're heirs with him, co-heirs with Christ. But it says, and we will be. We will we are co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And this is a key point. So many times in, in Christianity, in our culture. We hate suffering. We hate talking about suffering. We don't want anyone to suffer. We say, no, no, no. Like, God would never have you suffer, which is the biggest lie. And, again, it's very self-centered, right? It's all about me, 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 and me feeling good. So because they've re- received a self-centered gospel, when they come across a scripture like this, they say, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Skip the next part that says if, a big if. If you suffer with him so that you will be glorified with him. Because it's about him, right? It's about becoming like him. And so he suffered and he's saying you are going to suffer so that you can be glorified with me. There's something in Christianity in in who God is that says suffering. It's like the crushing produces the oil. Right. When you crush the grape down, there's wine. When you crush that thing down, the oil comes out. We need to be crushed. And then Paul says, for I consider it that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's got it. He got this revelation. This is all about Jesus in that end day when we see him face to face and the glory of seeing him and saying, I suffered with you. I'm part of your family. I'm your child. I look like you. The sufferings in this world aren't worthy to be compared to that. He was looking to something far beyond this present day. And like we started months and months ago, the, what was the message Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And for the glory set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't even make sense, that sentence. Joy and cross? (laughs) How can those both be in the same sentence together? But Jesus was looking to something far beyond. By faith, he saw to a promise And so for that joy, he said, this suffering is nothing. I'm going to take on the cross because I see something much further where there's going to be sons and daughters. I'm going to have an inheritance of brothers and sisters all over the world. So this suffering means nothing. He had the right perspective. He knew who he was. Something that I always talk about is that Jesus, right, he's the perfect example for us. He knew who he was. He had such assurance of his identity as the son of God, right? He declared it. I am the son of God. This is my father. I do whatever the father says uh, or does, and I say whatever the father says. He's my father. And they even accused him, and we'll read that scripture in John, of saying that he was God's son. They said, how could you call yourself? They said, this this man's blaspheming. He's saying he's the son of God. He knew who he was, though. But because he knew who he was, that security, the identity, he didn't go around boasting about it and saying, worship me, worship me. What did he do? He served. He washed feet. He was abused. He was rejected. He was spit on. But he was okay with it. Why? Because he knew who he was. His identity brought him into the, the place of humility, the lowest place of humility. Because he said, I don't need the praises of man now. I know what heaven's going to be like. I'm going to have every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping me. Jesus, this present little suffering is nothing. Because I know who I am. I'm assured of who I am. When we don't know who we are, the sufferings of this world beat on us and then we're like come on can i get a little appreciation can i get a little encouragement can and and not that that stuff is bad right we need to encourage one another and and share life with one another to build each other up it's good but when it becomes that the focus of me 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 i need i need i need then we've already lost our perspective. We've already lost focus. It's not about us. We have to look forward in faith and say, oh, my gosh, that day, at the end of all things, this life is passing by like this. I'm going to see my father, and I'm going to say, oh, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Every place I denied myself, every place of suffering, it, it was worth it all. We must, if, 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 if we suffer with him, then we'll be glorified with him. So, embrace the suffering. Embrace the hardship. Because this is, this is what we've been brought into. It's not for this age, it's for the age to come, right? We're living for the age to come. And that's going to be an amazing eternity. Think on and on and on and on and on, never-ending glory. Whoo. When we keep reminding ourselves, we have to remind ourselves of what we're living for because it's hard. You get caught in today and stuck in today and say, oh, my gosh, this life every day feels like it's never ending. And I'm like, I can't handle it. But he's welcomed us into something so much greater. And as his children, if we don't recognize his love for us. What does it what does it mean that God is our father? What does that mean for us? Because we need to be so assured in this when the harvest comes, we're welcoming people into it. So we've got to know what we're talking about and we've got to actually be living it, not just knowing it, but living it. You know, you're you're not just adding some activity to your life. You are living an entirely new life with purpose. God as your father. What does this mean? So. A lot of you know that I did st- work with street kids, and I worked with street kids in Brazil and orphans in Haiti. And um, when I think about this, what does it mean to be an orphan and as opposed to being a son, you know, in a, in a family, a child that's in a family? There's a lot of stark differences. And in Brazil, probably I saw the, the most um, stark difference between... Because there's children on the street everywhere. So you're seeing four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds out by themselves. I mean, think about Charlie by himself, having to get food for himself, having to find shelter, no one to protect him. That's a street kid. That's an orphan. They've been abandoned by everybody else. That's who we were in the spirit realm. We're out there fending for ourselves. We have to fight to stay alive. We're like doing everything we can to get what we need. It doesn't matter who I hurt to get there because I'm all about me and I've got to. And these kids are that way. They're the toughest little things. And it's sad. It's so sad. You just see them huddling together and you know, you're like, you're a child. Like there's no child that should be out on their streets by themselves having to face this stuff. And some of the stuff that would happen in in Bello, where I was, the police would actually go out and get all the children at night in the spots that they were, take them outside the city, and kill them. Literally, in Bello, that's what would happen. And the reason why they would do that is because they said, these ones are going to grow up to be the thieves, the prostitutes, the the robbers, the, the addicts of our day. So we might have, uh, might as well take them out now before they just infest the whole society. I mean, that's such sick, sick thinking. You can't even imagine how that could be. So these kids, scared to death, you know, they can't even sleep at night because they're afraid the police, those that are supposed to protect them, are the ones coming after them to take them. So think of that, and that's us, outside the family of God. And then when that child gets adopted into a family, what does that mean for them? There's a provider. There's a protector. There's safety. So we're dependents. We become dependents. 1 John 3, starting in verse 1, says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We will know that when he appears, and we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And skipping over to verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This means habitually, habitually sinning. By this, the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So God has bestowed his great love upon us that we would become children of God. We are his children. We have become dependent on him for everything that we need. He has called himself Provider, Jehovah Jireh, right? That's his name. That was when um, Abraham was sacrificing Isaac. Do you remember the story? He took up Isaac to go sacrifice him, the Lord said, and he kept saying the Lord's going to provide. Even as he's putting Isaac onto the altar, he's saying the Lord's going to provide. And then the Lord stops him as he's about to plunge his son through the Lord stops him. And what is what does Abraham say then? He says, I'm going to call this place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. And then it becomes a staple name for God, knowing that he is our provider. God was doing that even in that moment to say, to make a declaration of his name, his nature. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for you. You are my children. I will provide. I am provider. That's who I am. You come into a family and you know your parents are going to provide for you. Charlie and Mina don't think twice about, you know, if I'm going to have my cereal or my toast in the morning, they're not thinking, how am I going to get my toast? I need to go out and go shopping and blah, blah, blah. Like they're not even thinking of that. Why? Because they know their their parents are going to provide for them. Their parents have demonstrated that. In the same way, we must be so confident in the father that we're not waking up worrying. Where's this going to come from and where's that going to come from? Has he not always provided? Right, Marie, you were sharing just the other week about how there's been this lift. I've been I was so excited to hear you share how this change like came over you and you kept seeing this picture that Kayla gave you of the Lord just reassuring you of his faithfulness. I'm your provider. But this is true sonship. It really shows and demonstrates how much we have revelation of God as father. Because if we're worrying every day of where's this meal going to come from, where's that meal going to come from, we don't really believe that he's our provider. It's just the truth. We don't believe that he will provide for us. We're trusting in our own self to provide. We don't believe. We're still living in this, this street child mentality. He is provider. So I have to come in, believe, and step in faith that he is. That's who he is. And when people are coming, lost coming in, we can declare to them with full of faith. God will provide all of your needs. He's faithful. He's father. Come into the family. Provision is there. He, there's no lack for the righteous is what it says in Psalms. There will be no lack. There will be no lack of any good thing for the righteous. Come into the family of God. Provision. He is our provider. It's who our father is. So we have to experience it, know it, be confident in it, and then welcome people into this faith filled journey of God as provider. God is protector. Our father, our parents protected us. When you're out on the street, there's nobody to protect you. And because of that, there's a lot of terrible, terrible, terrible things that happen to children on the street even adults, you know, homeless adults worked with them in New York, but adults at least have a little more strength to fight off a little more common sense for manipulation sometimes. But a child is a lot more innocent and a lot more moved by what people are saying, a lot more influenced by what people are saying. And there are things that happen that I can't even share here or don't want to share because there are kids in the room. But That are so terrible that happen to kids. They don't have protection. They have no one standing up for them. They are out on their own. That's who we were before the Lord. We were called orphans. That means outside the family. That means we had no protection. Now that we've come into the family of God. Our father is our protector. What does he say? Psalm 91 is one of the key chapters in the Bible. The whole thing talks about his protection. I'm just going to read a couple verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his wings. Under his wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. You'll not be afraid by terror at night or the arrow that's by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or destruction that's at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not approach you. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He is our protector. And it's talking a lot about fear. And David is the writer of this psalm. And what was David going through? He re- he was in hiding half the time. People were attacking him. Remember Saul attacking his life out to get him, try to kill him. And what is he saying? God's my protector. I don't have to fear This man running and hiding in caves is saying, God is my protector. But I think the the thing we need to understand, though, is God is our protector doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. That's not what it's saying. Because we all know and probably from a lot of experience that bad things or difficult things happen. Like I think of my friend Judex from Haiti who died in a tragic bus accident. And he was alive after the accident happened, and the only reason why he died was that the because the paramedics didn't get there in time because it's Haiti. Like, th- that's not a good thing. That's not what was purpose for his life. He had a purpose in Haiti. Do I all of a sudden say God's not protector because that happened? It's obviously not true because that happened. No, I say I don't have to fear anything. Because I know that God is guarding me and guarding everyone around me. So if Judex passes, I say well, God was protecting him. God was there with him in that moment. And for whatever reason that he, he died that day, God is in control. I can trust God. God. I'm not going to trust my wisdom. I'm not going to trust what I understand. I look at the situation and say, yeah, is that hard? Yes. Did I cry a ton? But I still believe God is who he says he is. God is protector. So when the Lord calls me and Tommy to go to Site Soleil and move there to one of the most dangerous slums in Haiti, to the most dangerous slum in Haiti, we say God is our protector. No matter what happens to us, God is our protector. We don't have to be afraid to go anywhere or to do anything because if it's our life's in his hands. There was a missionary. I forget exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of I don't have any fear and I'm going to just keep going into these dangerous places. And God's, you know, guarding me or whatever until the day he deems that, you know, whatever he decides. I can't remember the right wording. It sounded really great. I wish I could remember um cuz i'm going to make it sound awful cuz it sounds like god's like just lifting his protection not that but until god wills something otherwise cuz we understand the bible even talks about martyrs people who gave their life for the sake of christ would you say god wasn't protecting them no we would say like in revelation they were the, the mighty ones, the ones of faith that said, I will give my life up for this because I'm so grounded in truth. Kill me, if you will. When they were in when the three were in the furnace. They weren't saying, oh, um, no, God's our protector. He wouldn't throw us in there. And if he does, we're going to deny him. No, they said, if you must burn us up throw us in there our God's going to protect us if we die he's still God if we don't die you're going to see something awesome and they didn't die that's the faith they still believed he's protection whether they yeah so they climbed into the furnace saying here we are we don't care we're not going to bow because God is the highest one, and we believe in him. We're his. Our lives are his, and that it roots right back to that gospel that's Christ-centered because in a Christ-centered gospel, I've already given my life. I've already said everything I have, everything I am is yours, Lord. Do what you will. And we know that so many times if you read some like Fox's Book of Martyrs, People who gave their lives resulted in so many more knowing Jesus. Because they said, what is this? This person was forgiving people as they died. This person was worshiping as they were having their head chopped off or whatever it was, you know. And and others are seeing it and it's resulting in multitudes of people giving their life to the Lord. We don't understand all of God's ways. It doesn't look like what we would think it should look like. That's why we say, oh, we trust you. This is about you. This is about your kingdom. This is about the age to come. So I can suffer. I can give everything because my father loves me, and I know that, and he's my protection. Does that make sense? His protection means we don't have to fear. There's no need for fear. It's an exhausting thing living outside the family of God or under the law still. It's exhausting. Exhausting. If you think of a street child, they're tired all the time because they have to constantly be alert to make sure nobody gets them. They're constantly looking, watching. They can hardly fall asleep. They're trying to find secret places to hide, to catch a Half hour of sleep here, half hour of sleep there so that no one kills them, nobody gets them, no one abuses them. In the same way, us outside the family, we're constantly on guard. We're constantly anxious and worrying when we're under the law. We're under condemnation. We can't, we're can't. we just like striving day after day, day after day. Oh, I can't do this anymore. It's so tiring. Where we when we recognize who God is, that this is all about him, that we've given up our lives already, it becomes a lot more freeing. He's provider, we can trust. I don't have to strive about my finances or how things are gonna come in. He's gonna do it. He's faithful. He's my protector. I don't have to fear about going to any place at any time because he's with me. If he calls me to go there, I'm going. Because he's my protection. If something bad happens to me, he's worth it. (laughs) I trust he has a plan. Right? We need to be so assured of these things so that when people come in, they see not like this drudging like, oh, yeah, we got to go where God tells us to go. We don't know if he's going to provide. We don't know if he's going to protect us. But, you know, this is it. Christianity. Oh, Lord, help us. We have to know that we have our father's full attention and his love for us is immeasurable. When we know that as his children being brought into the family. So it is part of this place of salvation. You come into the family, you recognize it's about Jesus. And then you're like overwhelmed by his great love for you because you say, wow, it wasn't about me, but then he loved me first. He loved me first, and he loves me so intensely that every care and concern that I have, he cares about. And I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. It's not something that we, you know, deserve. Like Tommy was even saying earlier, the things that we have are food. It's not like we sometimes, what was the word you used? Entitled to. We're not entitled to any of these things. He's given it to us as a free gift. We don't deserve it. And so it produces this overwhelming wow. Come into the family, into this freedom, into this life, into this joy where you can trust the father that he loves you. Come as you are because he loves you. If you have insecurity, his love is going to wash over you. And make you new. So that you can trust in his provision and his protection. Those were the two things that were so heavy on my heart. We need to know his provision and his protection as his kids that create security for us, that we would not fear, that we would not worry. Because if we're walking in the purpose of God for our lives, that he's destined us to, we can't have fear. There's no time for fear. There's no time for worry or anxiety, right? He's got to tell us what we're going to do, it, and we're going to plow forward in faith. That's why I love what he's doing here, even from last week when Marie was saying about the, to having the dinner. Last night was the greatest success to me. It was the greatest success. Why? Because she heard something, and she obeyed, and we obeyed as a community. 110% success. God was tremendously glorified, and people were blessed, and we had a great meal. But above all, there was no fear that prevented us, no anxiety. We just said, okay, he's speaking it. Let's do it, and we did it, and it was awesome, and that's what we want to move as a community. We want to hear together as a community. This is not about one person speaking. We talked about this last week. We are a family We are brothers and sisters. It said in that first chapter, uh, first John three, that we're recognized as his children when we love one another, not just here, but even other people from other local communities and churches. Those are our brothers and sisters just as much as everyone in this room. When people came in last night, the people at our table, we had a conversation with them, and I think. They were we kept putting out fires almost, I think, during our conversation because it was almost as if they wanted to try to see that we were competing for them to come here to our church, to our church. And we kept saying, no, if you're that's great, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're in a healthy community. Awesome. Go for it. Like, yes, reach your community. That's awesome. And what's your pastor preaching about? And oh, that's so great. We're part of a family. And I think that you kept hitting them like what? Is it like you don't want us to come here? Like, oh, you're well, you're a believer, right? You're already in the family. You're connected to a community of believers near you. Why would we be trying to get you to come here then? I don't know. And they even shared that the people had been pressuring them like I guess years before or whatever. So but that's what we're going after. We're after this like bigger vision. We're not so focused on just us here. God is moving here. God is doing a lot. And when the harvest comes in, we're welcoming into this Christ centered movement that says it is all about him. But he welcomes you in as his child and you call him father. You call him father. There's a, I'm going to end with this. There's a missionary. She was like my role model when I was a kid and wanted to grow up to be a missionary that traveled the world. Her name was Bunty Bunce. And I thought she was so cool. She was a single woman. And wherever she goes, revival happens. Like, this lady is crazy. She loves the Lord. When she prays, we were just with her a couple few years ago in Canada. When she prays, she closes her eyes and she goes, Father, my Father, my Father. And she says it over and over again. And the more she's saying it, I'm like, I want to say it too, my Father like he's m- and sh- it was like she's reminding herself he's my father. My father. The more she said it, it was like I was getting more revelation of like wait, he's my father. My father. And sometimes we have to break old paradigms cuz if we didn't have a great dad and we think my father and we're like mm, I don't know. Like, but God is a good father. Like we were singing before, he's a good father. He's not like our earthly father. He's protector, he's provider, and he's constantly pouring out our, his love over us, his faithfulness. And so we can stand and say, my father, my life is yours. You're my father. And even throughout this week, I want to encourage each one of us, it, as a community, we have to dive into this more and more. Just even on our own, in our own times of the Lord, what does it mean for him to be father to you? Where are the areas in our lives where we're not acting like his children, where we're acting still like we have to fend for ourselves? So that might look fear like fear of man, fear of anything, really any fear in your life, anxiety, worry. Those are all old things. We don't want them anymore. So just examine throughout the week this week, where are those places for me? Where are these places in my life where I still have that? And God, I, I need you to come with revelation of who you are as father, my father, and even declare that over that situation, over that place. No, he's my father, my father. Amen. I just, the whole service, I kept out of the corner of my eye seeing Renee raise her hand. Which is funny, because every time I looked, she was not raising her hand. So I I just, the first time it happened, I thought, oh, you know, I'm just sorry out of the corner of my eye. But then it's happened like maybe ten times through the service that she's raising her hand like this. And I look over and she's not. But I think I'm seeing something in the spirit, and I really believe the Lord's highlighting you, like, hey I'm here and I think because this message really like he wants you to know his father heart towards you and it, uh, he wants it for all of us but there's something highlighted for you and maybe wh- why don't we just gather around Renee do you mind okay why we if we come up and let's just pray over her because I think there's something specific for her today and maybe others too but just seeing her raise her hand she's like me I want my father I want some father, so...